0: get well, g'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Thursday. All the best bits from the Minecraft Skin Breakfast on Newstalk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB, and this morning it's uh, it's shuffle day, re-shuffle day. Shuffle it all up, shuffle up the cabinet, see w- what falls out the bottom. Will Hepkins fall out the bottom, given that he seems to have no idea what's going on in his own schools? Uh, the IMF, they seem to know what's going on with our economy, and they're not happy. Uh, uh, and the flowers, it's gone wrong somewhere. Not sure who for though yet Uh, Nico Walters, not going wrong for him, going alright Yeah, the Walters name Matthew Walters, 660 Well, Nico's the next cab off the rank Sounds pretty good to me Closing doors
1: It's an open mall It's not in my nature I look ahead. Have you grown up, first of all, in the shadow of your brother? Is, is that always, you know, music surrounds you and he goes on to do something and you go, mm, I wouldn't mind doing that? Or... Uh, I haven't grown up in the shadow of my brother. I mean, he's. Um, we're, we're, me and my brother are really close and uh, I think our relationship is more of like a complementary one, whereas, I suppose, to build on your shadow analogy, um, if he's doing well and there's light cast on him, I feel like I. Um, uh, there's a bit of light that shines on on, on me too, and I think, and vice versa. You know, I think we have a relationship where we're we're really um, supportive, and I want the best for him in terms of his successes, and and I know it goes the same way. So, I, I definitely wouldn't say I've grown up in the shadow of my brother, but um, but you know, he, in terms of musically specifically, he's. Yeah. Obviously, the top of the game right now in, in New Zealand. Yeah, like, brilliant. A, huh? Arguably doing the best in, in, in New Zealand music history as far as the numbers go.
0: Oh, I can't wait to hear more from that voice. No, I thought Matthew's voice was good, but I reckon he... <laughs> Whew. Excited. Calm down, Glenn ZB. Uh Let's talk about today's uh, cabinet reshuffle. What does Mike think going to happen there? Let's be honest.
1: Let's be honest. Are we really gripped by today's cabinet reshuffle? Do we really care? Whether Carmel Sepoloni gets shuffled up or down or nowhere at all, or whether Nanaya Mahuta has been up to scratch. And let's also be honest, a lot of our view is based on our overarching opinion of the government itself. I mean, I'd roll Kelvin Davison a heartbeat because he's a go nowhere, who every time he's raised his head sounds like he doesn't have a clue. But he's not in the job for talent like so many of them. He's in the job because of who he's mates with, what faction he is within the party, who owes who what it is, after all, politics. National. Claim that Parker hasn't been doing his job, Clark is out of his depth, will they get shuffled? I doubt it. I'd argue that Ian Lees-Galloway should never have held his portfolio post his disgraceful episode that showed unprofessionalism, not to mention laziness and arrogance, over Carol Shrewbrick. But in the lack of movement around lees Galloway's is your real issue, of course. The person doing the reshuffling doesn't have a backbone and would rather run at 100 miles an hour towards the horizon than face up to conflict. Yes, Jacinda is lacking in the fundamental ingredients required to ensure she is surrounded by the best as opposed to the politically convenient. And so today will be, in the grand scheme of things, a non-event. And let's also be honest, today for the viewer in the bleachers is really all about, and only about, Philip Stoner Twyford. For it is he and he alone that stands out above and beyond all the others as the one cabinet minister who has taken, as it turns out, basically their biggest policy, and spent virtually every day in office obliterating it. Build is an unqualified disaster. It is universally panned. It is unanimously accepted as being a miserable failure, and Philip has not only overseen the complete circus, he's insisted on backing it, talking it up, making stuff up about it, and generally surrounding it with promises that we' never going to see the light of day. And so what is the penalty for that? Look at the cabinet lineup and find anyone who's even close to being in charge of anything as catastrophic as the balls-up that is Kiwi build. So everything that is announced today falls in behind that. And once again, we'll go directly to Jacinda's ability to lead or not. He should, of course, be sacked, as in completely, but he won't be. So already Jacinda looks weak. So he'll be reshuffled into what? A portfolio where he can do the least damage? And when that happens, all the questions will be around why he's still there, why didn't she act more decisively, and before you know it, whatever else happened will barely get a
0: passing mention. So, um, yeah, it's, it's almost like a race to see who can do the most random stuff with their portfolio, Uh, because Chris Hipkins, you know, suddenly he's paying millions, if not billions, to teachers left, right and centre, and thinks that that deputy principals should get paid more than some principals. that's weird. Speaking of schools, I don't know what Hipkins was thinking. I mean, I don't know what
1: Hipkins was thinking the other day when he promised me that 1.2 was it and it turns out to be 1.4 plus. But, be that as it may, that's only part of his problem. The other part of his problem, when you're offering parity as part of the deal, and somebody in the overarching group, i.e. teachers and principals, doesn't get parity, and the principals go, well, hold on here, how is it that a senior teacher is going to end up earning more than me, that that isn't going to come back and bite you in the bum? Which, of course, it has. As of yesterday, the primary teachers say, yes, please, because it's a fabulous offer. Principals go, no, thank you, because it isn't. And then you get the Hipkins line, oh, well, hold on, there's no more where that came from, that was full and final, and everyone goes, yeah, sure, Chris. Sure it is, because we remember what you said last time. See what he's done? I told you this at the time. Once you set a precedent, once you open the Pandora's box, it's all on for love nor money and
0: no one believes him anymore. And what's more, you've got to pay for it from somewhere as well. And the government's having to pay for a lot of stuff at the moment. And I think, is that why we um, are running out of money?
1: International Monetary Fund has come to town to tell us the bleeding obvious. Our economy... Has lost steam. We have been saying this each and every month on this program of this year and most of last year to boot. They have seen what we saw a year ago. Series of policies that could lead to nothing else but a slowdown, the re emergence of the unions, of course, through these large pay claims like the teachers and the nurses, the Employment Relations Authority, who just this week handed out living wages or higher to might attend franchisees, the specter of fair pay agreements where entire industries get told what to pay and have no say over their own workforce anymore. Manufacturing sector that's stalling and certain parts of it now going backwards. A services sector where the purses are snapping shut and they're snapping shut because of the confidence, which has fallen through the floor, an expenditure program which has shifted billions out of the productive side of the economy and into welfare, a job seeker plan whereby those without work are no longer pressured to actually find it, hence the queue has grown by 13,000, the bill has risen with it, state housing for life where not only don't you have to leave anymore but the queue has grown not only to record levels but by record levels as well, a surplus that's basically vanished, policies that are uncosted like the gun buyback that will most likely eat whatever is left of the surplus and growth numbers that now look anemic, 0.6, 0.6 last quarter. Add to that migration, which will slow, which means the labour issues will get worse in an already tight market. A construction sector, the sector by the way that got us the 0.6, instead of something worse, at capacity. And as Cameron Bagri told us on the program the other day, an economy running at 80Ks in a 100K zone. The prospect of Australia sucking talent out or preventing it ever hitting here in the first place. Now that the iron ore's back, the gold is hot, the rare earths are a $100 billion business, they're spending more on infrastructure than our entire GDP put together. The IMF didn't need to look hard to find all of this. Fortunately, thank goodness, we're still selling stuff to the world and still getting very good money for it. But if you were here three years ago, and you were looking around, and then you came back today and looked again, your response would be, what the hell happened here? And sadly, I think we all know the answer, don't we?
0: Um, yeah, to be honest, that is quite often my response. And and sometimes it's when I come back into a room that I was the last person in, and I think, well, jeez, oh, what happened here? And I can't quite remember. Um, why are we talking about the flowers everyday Every day.
1: And Eddie Marbo took a case in 1982 that wasn't resolved until 1992. And it was about land rights, but it fundamentally changed the way that Australian law, particularly in society generally, saw land rights. And the argument now is that Folau, Israel, and perhaps Maria as well, are the face of freedom. That's what they're calling it, the face of freedom. This will end up in the High Court. It will be a defining case of free speech and religious expression. It'll be just like Marbo. It'll take years. It'll be high profile. It'll be legal. It'll be media. But it would challenge the right of companies and organisations to restrict the speech of Australian employees. In other words, he is fighting on behalf of all Australians, and that appeals to a lot of Australians. That, that context appeals to a lot of Australians. And so if it's Marbo, if it's that big... He is redefining Australian law, and Australian culture, and Australian society, and its view of various issues. In this particular case, religious freedom and expression. So he has taken on a monumentally large fight, and I hope he's up for it because it will last for years. 82 it started for Marbo, ended in June of 92, and Marbo had to leave his leave his job to meet legal requirements. He lived on next to nothing, and his case was funded with fifty thousand dollars from a Commonwealth grant, Marbo's pension, and the lawyer's own pockets. But he won. And he is remembered forever for winning. And this could be Marbo Part 2.
0: Um, if it is, uh, let's hope they lose. Because really, I, I feel like it's become now um, the final case of people arguing for people who believe in invisible people in the sky. And that means that they then have the right to say and do whatever the hell they want because of their close association with invisible people in the sky. And if they lose, can we can that be precedent-setting? And then we no longer have to take anything that anybody who cares about invisible people in the sky seriously ever again. Too controversial to end uh, the re that way? Let's end it with a little bit more Nico instead. Stronger and stronger
1: As these memories fade The brighter place Gets closer and closer
0: yeah, yeah.
1: No wonder you're proud of that. It's a great song. Good song, great voice. Thanks, mate. You got whiskey in that?